You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's episode, New Technologies. Welcome to the Psychological Services Hotline. All of our paid professionals are currently occupied. Because of the holiday season, we are experiencing an unusual volume of calls, so waiting periods may be lengthy. If you would like to use our fully automated self-help phone service, please press 1. Otherwise, please stay on the line. Welcome to the Psychological Self-Help Hotline. If you are feeling depressed, press 1. If you are feeling paranoid, press 2. If you are feeling... You have pressed 1. Depressed. If you are feeling like the whole world is bearing down on you with its suffocating weight, press 1. If you feel a nagging sense of what is the use of it all, press 2. You have pressed 2. If you were undervalued and ignored as a child, press 1. If you have recently ended a relationship that has damaged your sense of self-worth, press 2. If you have just watched more than four hours of television and are feeling sticky and gross, press 3. You have pressed 2. Failed relationship. If you are feeling like you may never love again and will spend the rest of your life alone, press 1. Press 2. If you feel as though you do not deserve to be loved. Press 3. If you are currently stalking your former lover, then hold for operator assistance. You have pressed 2. You do not deserve to be loved. Press 1 if this is something you really really believe. Press 2. If this is something you are just saying because you are feeling sorry for yourself. You have pressed an incorrect key. You have pressed 2. Might I suggest you go outside for a stroll? A nice walk might do you some good. Press 1 if you agree. Press 2 if you do not agree. You have pressed 1. This is good. Before you go, perhaps you would like to listen to a Christmas carol? Press 1 for Silent Night. Press 2 for Jingle Bells. Or press 3 for Christmas Time is Here. You have pressed 3. Season's Greetings. In the year 2089, due to unprecedented advances in the field of bioengineering, androids were invented and introduced into the general population. From all outward appearances, they seemed to be exactly like people. But although their cognitive skills were similar to those of humans, they were unable to experience the same feelings and sensations. Most emotions were deemed unnecessary for the android's specific function in the world. So rather than possessing the regular gamut of human emotions, they were instead endowed with an innate amazement at mathematical problems and repetitive actions. 
For this reason, working in factories, laboratories, and engineering plants to them was most enjoyable. Androids were made with better eyesight than humans, so that they could work on the tiniest computer parts. A side effect of this provision was that when they looked up into the sky at night, they were able to perceive thousands more stars, thousands more configurations and astral phenomena than the average human eye could ever discern. And so, when they walked at night, they could not help but look up into the sky and marvel. In fact, this became the easiest way to tell an android from the general human population. Androids were the ones on the street with their briefcases dangling at their sides, staring up at the stars in wonder. For this reason, androids were not given driving licenses. It led to too many accidents, this ability to be struck by perfect things. In the summer of 2112, a female android named 4F6 stopped on her way home from the pharmaceutical factory and stood looking up at the stars above. As she looked, visions flashed before her. She imagined the stars were a group of ancient coal miners with lamps on their hats being lowered by elevator into a deep, dark hole. Imagining in this way was not typical of robots. But 4F6 had known she was different from other androids for a long time. Once, at rush hour four years ago, she had been shoved into the subway tracks by accident, and as she hit the rail, an electrical current surged through her. Since that time, her electrical impulses had always been too high. She had already experienced some peculiar side effects from her accident. She was able to turn on light bulbs just by looking at them. And unlike other androids, she was able to tell what was funny. She was forever explaining jokes to the androids she worked with, but they couldn't understand at all. To them, jokes were merely equations with slightly incorrect answers. As she was standing there, peacefully looking up at the stars, she realized that another android in a tweed suit was standing right beside her, also looking up at the night sky. Naturally, they introduced themselves. Androids were always very cordial and polite, as they greatly increased workplace efficiency. 4F6 liked BX-19 immediately. She liked his brown eyes and his pale skin. He told her that he worked transcribing trials at the courthouse. He began to repeat verbatim one of the cases he had sat in on that day. A man was on trial for murdering his ex-wife's new boyfriend. He had strangled him with his bare hands and now showed no remorse. Then he told her the story of a man who had robbed a convenience store and only got away with $15 and had been subsequently sentenced to 15 years in prison. 4F6 was moved by these stories. She had never had anyone say such things to her. The only kind of talk she ever heard was from the androids at the pharmaceutical factory, who only spoke of formulae in the table of elements. All this talk of murder and love, to her, was like poetry. Somewhere within 4F6's circuitry, 
there stirred a desire to reach out and touch BX-19. Androids often mimicked human behavior out of curiosity. They had, of course, tried kissing and lovemaking, and certain androids claimed they had felt something, but it was the general consensus that they were unable to feel anything at all while engaging in such human activity. Please kiss me, she said. BX-19 leaned over and did as he was told. He was only being polite, but when his lips touched her lips, 4F6's heart felt like it had sunk into her stomach. When this happens with humans, it's just a sensation. But with an android, every emotion has a definite mechanical reaction. Tiny wires and bolts fell from inside her chest and into her stomach. 4F6 felt the metal parts moving around in her belly. But later that night, lying in bed, the discomfort she was feeling in her stomach was the furthest thing from her mind. She replayed the kiss over and over until her short-term memory projector snapped off and she drifted into sleep. The next morning, as 4F6 was gaining consciousness, as she lay in bed staring at the ceiling, she felt something fall from between her legs. She pulled off her blankets and rummaged through the sheet, searching for the errant part. Suddenly her hand touched something cold and metallic. She pushed away the blankets, and there, wrapped in her bedding, was a tiny stick-like figure. Its skeleton was made of wires and tiny screws and bolts. It had a tiny spring for a spine, and small frayed splice wires grew out of its head like hair. The little thing started to move its arms in the air over itself. 4F6 was horrified. It was obviously some sort of android, but it didn't look human the way other androids did. No skin had been grafted onto it. The little thing looked at 4F6 through the holes in the minuscule bolts he had for eyes. There was an awful darkness and limitlessness to those eyes. She realized that it was a baby, her baby, conceived from her kiss. The gestation period for the tiny robot had only been a day. She had never heard of robots making robots, perhaps on a factory assembly line, never in a bed, and never as the result of a spontaneous kiss. 4F6 knew that something horribly wrong had happened. Although androids didn't exactly know what it meant, beyond the softer skin and crooked teeth, they somehow wished to be human. They considered themselves inferior and got tongue-tied around people. Whenever they saw a human, they couldn't help but think, He invented me. Humans did not know what their origins had been. They believed in God and searched for the meaning of life in the Bible. Androids, on the other hand, had no Bible. The closest thing they had to a Bible was the original grant application that requested funding for robotics research. Every android had a copy of this proposal. It was a bestseller among androids. 
There was never any debate about the origins of existence or the meaning of life among androids. But now, this baby robot had been created by some unknown force independent of man. 4F6 knew that this would not be taken lightly. She knew that if the scientists found out about the baby, there would be a mass android recall. They would tamper with their insides, making sure that no other android would be capable of experiencing love as 4F6 had, because it was love that had created this little spring man, she was sure. They would take away their ability to be amazed by stars, too, for good measure, and 4F6 didn't want to be without those parts. Without those things, she would only be an appliance, a machine. She wrapped the tiny robot up in a sock and put him in her briefcase. She called in to work to say that she would be a little late that day because she was going to stop the android servicing unit to be recharged. But instead, she took the bus all the way to the edge of town. When the bus reached the end of the line, she walked down an empty street. And as she walked, she convinced herself that what she was about to do was necessary for the safety of androids everywhere. She had been to the dump before. She had enjoyed estimating how many pieces of debris were contained within each pile. But she was not interested in that today. She had no desire for calculating. She took the baby robot out of her briefcase and threw it over the fence onto a heap of garbage. Several years earlier, 4F6 had had her temperature regulator exchanged. In the moments that she lay on the metal gurney, her chest plate opened, the old part removed and the new one not yet inserted. She had really felt fine and complete. The little wire creature that had fallen from her was not even half the size of a temperature regulator. Yet back at the factory assembly line, as she stood making calculations on her clipboard, she had the sensation of being empty. As much as she considered it, it did not make any sense to her. Yet there it was. At the dump, there were seagulls circling above and crying out as though in pain. As it started to get dark, the little robot became more aware of how alone he was. He stood up on his feet, which looked like tiny salad forks, and stumbled over the garbage. He passed a used shoe, piles of books and tin cans, and green metal chairs and couches with cushions covered in coffee stains. Then, among all of it, he saw something that comforted him. A toaster lying all by itself. The robot hurried over and wrapped his arms around it, circling its electrical cord around his body. When the stars came out, so numerous and fantastic, the little robot was so struck by the utter mystery of being alive that he forgot, at least for those moments, that he was alone in the world. As he gazed up at the stars, he was struck by quizzical thoughts. Why am I here? 
How big is the universe? Why am I I and not someone else? Although androids all over the world were always coming up with an infinite complexity of answers, the little robot was the first to ask a question. Hello. Hi. Hey, Howard. How, how are you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Good. What? what what's up? I, I, are you busy at the moment? Just doing some uh, some paperwork here. Uh, what, what, what's going on? Nothing. Well, I mean, I I I want to. You know, I, I, you probably heard about my new show, and I was thinking I wouldn't mind getting you getting you as a little guest on the show there. What What are you talking about? My new radio show. You have a radio show? Yeah, yeah. I got I got a radio show going. What What um, uh, What station? Uh, uh, iPod. What do you What do you mean? iPod station. Do you mean you're podcasting? Uh, um, like you know my friend Jimmy, the guy who delivers at the dip center around the corner from your house. Yeah. So this guy uh-huh. uh has an iPod. Okay. Which is basically like kind of new video technology kind of thing, which I thought you'd kind of know about. Well, um, I mean. Anyway, so it's um. It's uh, he offered me a spot on 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 the station. Well, can I? How can I hear one of these shows? Well, do you have an iPod? I do actually. Yeah. I guess you just turn on iPod and you can hear the show. The name of the show is Livewire. Oh, really? It's straight. Yeah, that's it. It's just straight Livewire. on. It's it, it's funny. It sounds a little like the you know the name of my show, Wiretap. It doesn't sound like your show, and nothing, nothing like your show. There's uh-huh. no, no similarity whatsoever. Oh, okay. This is like a, this is an in-your-face, straight-talking type of show. Uh-huh. Live wire. It's a dangling wire on a rainy day on the street. Don't get near it, but you're but you're fascinated by it, and you're watching it. You're watching it coil in the rain, twisting and turning. So, it sounds very dangerous. It's it's dangerous. It sounds uh, electric. That's actually our that's the motto. It's What's that? Live wire. It's electric. Right, let me just write that. Let me just write that down. Uh-huh. It's electric. Uh, I haven't had any guests yet, really officially, but mm. I was kind of wondering if you wanted to maybe uh, let me interview you. I'd love that, Howard. That'd oh. be great. All right. Uh, do, you have, do you have some time right now? You want to do it right now? Sure. Yeah, let's, yeah. Uh, let's go I like for that. it. Yeah. I like to just go for it. Do you already? Yeah, I'm set. Okay, I'm, I'm already. Yeah. Live wire, I'm already. All right. Let me, let, me just get, let me just get some of the theme music going here. Okay. Welcome to Livewire. I'm Howard Chaklitz, your host, and we're here with media jerk Jonathan Goldstein. Well, uh, ha- Howard, what, what what did you just say? Well, well, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me just pause that. Okay, just what what kind of show is this exactly? Just just straight talk, right? We're just down to earth, eye to eye. You know, something. This is not like Canadian Broadcasting Corporation sitting there sipping teas out with a pinky in the air, legs crossed. This is straight turkey talk. This is like you know we're 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 drinking scotch and that kind right, of thing. Right, I understand, but I mean just the you know the me, the media jerk. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be using some like terminology like that. It's just it's kind of just a radio thing, and basically I'm trying to it's to kind of add some kind of flavor to it. 
Okay, I understand. Okay. Um, I guess so. But all right, so you ready to talk? Yeah. Welcome to Livewire. Well, it's uh, good to be here. We're here with long-haired, dopey Jonathan Goldstein. The introductory segment of my show is usually mm-hmm. called uh, "For Argument's Sake," and uh, basically, you just tell me what's on your mind, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take you to the mat. You know, if there's some kind of like issue that people are debating for decades, you can bring that up. Okay. So you just want to you want to get a, a a little debate going? Yeah, get a little debate going, or you know. All right. Um, how about we debate uh, whether people should wear fur? Okay. Okay. I like that. All right. Okay. So what do you? Okay. What do you I say? say people shouldn't wear fur because it's Should yeah because it's, it's we're here with, with with media jerk Jonathan Goldstein who seems to feel that it's not right for people to wear fur and I'm here Howard Chakowitz live wire straight shooter and I'm gonna shoot him down I'm gonna shoot this peacenik hippie fashion. All I'm saying is that you know I mean we we live in an age in which um, you know you 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 uh, we we don't necessarily need to rely on. So you're saying people shouldn't be wearing fur, right? Well, I'm just saying you know in this day and age we have other options. Yeah. You know? So dogs, so dog, you know, dogs shouldn't wear fur. Dogs should walk around bare bone, looking like something hanging in the butcher's window. Is that what you're saying, John? Somebody, we, we no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, know? Howard, I'm, I'm saying that maybe humans shouldn't wear fur. You oh, know? we should all be just cold. We should all walk around shivering cold. What are you doing? Get on board for the Moron Express. Here are two tickets to Jerkville. Uh, okay, Howard, I, I, I appreciate, you know, that you, you have a sort of in-your-face in kind of style. Yeah. It's just that but you're not letting me, you know, you're not letting me say anything. You know that that that's sort of a problem, I think. That may be a little bit kind of off-putting for you because you're on the other side of the table for the first time. Maybe like you know, I'm the interviewer, you're the interviewee. Maybe it's a bit unfamiliar for you. You might be getting a little taste of your own medicine right now, and it might be a little bit bitter. Right? No, no. You see, my problem isn't with the. I've been interviewed before. I just you know, I've never been yelled at like this. You know, in an interview setting. In the real world, mm. this is the kind of exchange that goes on. There's a lot of action because this is what sells. Maybe, you know, on the CBC, things are kind of boiled down a bit, and everyone's very dry and mumbly, like, but this is not, we're not talking the CBC, this is iPod, this is radio for the masses. All right, well, you know, I'll, I'll, tr- I'll trust you know what you're doing. Yeah, okay, let's okay. get back on. All right. All right, we're back with Livewire, with wild child Schmageggy, Jonathan Goldstein. All right, Jonathan. We just uh, kind of did, you know, talked about as much as we could about the fur debate. Maybe we can hear some, you know, hear what, you know, what some of our listeners have to say. Uh, you know, we're here with Jonathan Goldstein, and he's saying that dogs shouldn't wear fur. Wow! What a nut! All right. Let me just pause that. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make like I'm a caller calling in. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I'm going to, like, basically, like, give it to those callers, but it's just going to be me, Okay. What you're talking about is you're going to pretend, you're going to imitate the voices of people calling you up? Yeah, it's all, this is all going to come out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to all tighten up in post-production. It's mm-hmm. all going to be great. It's editing is the key, okay? Okay. Okay, okay we're here with our first caller. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling to like your show. Thank you. Uh, if I may direct my question to your guest. Okay, John, you okay taking that question? Uh, yeah. Okay, sir, go ahead. Now you're saying you're you're opposed to the wearing of fur. Now let me let me ask you, what about feathers? Uh, you are you against feathers too? You'd be a, a, you know, a, Howard, you got a real jerk. I know, I know, he's a real jerk. Okay, next caller, welcome to Livewire. Howard, before I get into get into it, I just want to say your show is the most refreshing and honest and straightforward piece of journalism I've heard of. Thank you. On on the radio. Or I'm in the print media or on television. Okay, okay. Uh, Howard, Thank you. move it along, all right? I... All right. This is time for point counterpoint 
a favorite segment for our listeners. Point, counterpoint. Okay, Jonathan, I don't know if you're familiar with the format. Basically, it's I make a point, and then you have a counterpoint, and I make a point, and you make a counterpoint. Okay, I, th- so I, th- I think I get the idea. Okay. All right. Point. You are a hypocrite. Okay, okay, Howard, you see, what am I supposed oh, okay, to say? Okay, that, you know, that's really oh, just aggressive. Oh, okay, hang, hang on one second. You have to say counterpoint. You have to say counterpoint. This is my show. Okay? Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to... Uh, all right. Say counterpoint. All right, okay, counterpoint. Mm-hmm. What, what are you talking about? What, what, what is that supposed to mean? Point. In high school, you used to wear tight jeans with a bandana around the leg, and you used to have a GQ haircut. Isn't that true, ha- Howard, listen, can, can you stop the tape for a moment, please? But isn't that true? Howard... But isn't that true? Counterpoint. What, 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 why, why are you bringing that Point. up? Point. Admit that's the truth. Counterpoint. This is the end of the interview. <laughs> let, me, let me just pause for a second. What, what are you recording this on, anyway? Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, JJ lent me the his the, the part of the equipment, the iPod, so I'm just kind of like he showed me like how to turn it on and off and. Okay, but Howard, you mean like the iPod with like the little earphones and everything? Yeah, I'd say it's about the size of like a credit card, a little bit bigger. Okay, yeah, but Howard, I, you, you can't actually record with that. That's like it's it's like a Walkman. No, this is amazing technology. It's not a Walkman. This is. I, no, 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 I know. It's been but all it, over the TV. It's an iPod. Right, but it's for playing things, Howard. Okay, I, I, you, gonna, you know, you can't, you can't okay, record on it. Okay, I, I don't, yeah, because I, I don't think it's not I'm gonna wrap not this up. Two, three, four. Uh, uh, feel the fire on live wire. Howard Chakowitz, Jonathan's a liar. Hands on fire. He's a liar. On Wiretap today, you heard Howard Chakowitz and Heather O'Neill reading her short story, Robot Baby. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. Production help from Mira Birdwin Tonic. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1, 4 Pacific Time and Friday evening at 8.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.